Greetings and welcome. You're listening to the Genesis Podcast, the official podcast of the Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. It is our goal to inspire one another to change the world by effectively living in the way of Jesus. Check out our website, thegenesisstory.com. There, you can learn more about us, where and when we meet, ways to invest and support, but most importantly, how to get connected. Thank you for spending time with us today. Okay, good morning. Sorry, we're a few minutes late. I was showing pictures and videos of my grandkids. Uh, It's good to be here with you again this morning. Thank you guys for being here in person. Thank you for those of you who tune in and watch us online or listen to us. We are appreciative. Before we start, I want to take time not just to pray, but to posture ourselves. Uh, You know, the reason that we meet here, the reason maybe that you tune in and listen is because we are wanting another voice in our lives besides the voice that we are hearing throughout the week, maybe through media, through uh, work, a voice that has a resonance that is bigger. And when I say that, I'm talking about a voice from God in some aspect. And this is hopefully that for us, an oasis in this wilderness that we find ourselves in, a time when we are bombarded with so much of what's wrong and what's going on that we can see a perspective that is bigger than just what we see on the news. And I hope that that is this for you guys. And for that to have its full effect, I think, in our lives, we have to be aware that that's one of the reasons why we are here. That's one of the reasons that we do gather. One of the reasons that we engage with Scripture is to hear that voice and allow that voice to affect us, Uh, allow the time of music to, in a sense, soothe us or help us to, again, have a different focus. And so... As we pray, let's allow those things to transpire here this morning or wherever you are when you're listening to that. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to hear your voice pierce through into our lives in a way that helps us not be so consumed with all the other voices that we are hearing, that allow us to anchor into hope, that allow us to connect and resonate with reality, with truth, and even with the pain and difficulty that is around us. Father, we don't want to be detached and we don't want to be consumed by everything that is happening. We want to be living in harmony with you in the midst of all that is happening. And so this time, Father, is opportunity for us to engage with you through the music, 
through the scripture and through one another, the conversation that we have. And I pray that that time would be powerful in our lives and transformative. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of announcements as we get started. One, uh, Brianna wanted me to remind you that the gifts for the stocking stuffers for the kids, for the Foothill Family Shelter, we need them here before or by uh, December 3rd. And so if you have questions, touch base with her or you can talk to Randy and he can relay the message to her at that time. But all the gift cards or gifts and the stockings need to be here before or by December 3rd. And then also tonight at five o'clock, we are having the get together at my house, our Thanksgiving get together. Uh, hope you guys can make it. I'm expecting a good number of you. Um, I'm looking forward to that time together. I think the weather is going to be okay where we can be outside. Um, we'll see how cold it is. We can always move it inside if we need to. Um, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the turkey, how it's going to turn out. Anyway, hopefully it's good. Uh, anyway, just a reminder. So if you guys are out there and are wanting to come and you don't know my address, you can uh, message me and I'll get it to you. I think most of you know where I live. Uh, who are coming, so that shouldn't be a problem. But if there's any questions, let us know. And I think we're going to have plenty of food. So if you're like, oh, I don't know what to bring to a potluck, don't worry about it. Just come. Um, we'll, we got you. If anything, we can order pizza and bring it if we need to. But nothing says Thanksgiving like pizza. This morning, we're continuing in Jeremiah and remember, this story, as we saw in chapter one, takes place over a 40-year period of time, more than 40 years. In chapter one, verse two, we saw that it says, and, and this week I'm going back to the ESV translation, and I'm doing it because I felt it was more strong in its presentation, and I think it, it captures the shock value that the writer intended. And that's why, and you'll see what I mean as we go on. But remember last week in chapter one, verses two and three, it said, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Amnon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. This is taking place over a long period of time, and I don't think that the writer wrote a couple of chapters and then put the writing down and then, oh, another king, another 10 years passed. Oh, I'll write some more. I think this is all written from the perspective of after all these things happen, looking back and trying to bring understanding to that time. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later, but it's important to understand the period of time that this is written in. And it's, it seems like it's happening in the moment, but it's actually a reflection back thinking of how do I describe what I have seen take place. And it's important because what is the prophet Jeremiah trying to communicate? Chapter three, 
verse one. Hang on, here we go. If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not the land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers. And would you return to me, declares the Lord? Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see where you have not been rav- where have you not been ravished by the wayside you have sat awaiting lovers like an arab in the wilderness you have polluted the land with your vile whoredom therefore the showers have been withheld and the spring rains have not come you yet you have the forehead of a whore you refuse to be ashamed have you not just now called to me My father, you have the friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but you have done all the evil that you could. Some nice light reading for a Sunday morning. I think the writer is going for shock value, and that's why I use this translation. Some of the other translations would say they prostituted themselves. But here the idea of being a whore, being ravished with many lovers is the intent. Will you go back to a person who has done this? And going back to the idea of why this book was written, imagine a people who have in their minds, God is with us, God is for us, King David will be on the throne forever. That was the promise to us. That was what we were told. That's what the scripture declared to us, our sacred writings, our traditions, the things that we have heard. And now they find themselves being taken by Babylon into captivity. How do we reconnect, revitalize a faith that has gone through this? And so the prophet is trying to give them some kind of context, trying trying to help them understand, well, the reason this has all happened is because look what Israel has done. Look at who you, you have become. What do we do now? When we find ourselves in this place and, we, and we're hearing that, well, the reason we're here is because, well, look who we've been. We've neglected God. We have played the whore as he says. And and this is one of the focuses of Jeremiah. Actually, so many of the books in the Old Testament have been affected by this Babylonian captivity because it shook their faith. How do we have a God that is great when we have been conquered by other nations who have other gods? Does not that make their God greater? What happened to our God? I thought we had the true God, but what do we say now that we find ourselves in this situation? And and that's the turmoil they're going through. And that's why the Babylonian captivity was a very pivotal point in the nation of Israel. That's why most of the writings, even when we go through Genesis and Exodus and the, the books of the law and the Torah, those were most likely written 
after this period of time, looking back and trying to bring purpose to the nation where they were now. See where we were, see who we were as these people of God. And now what do we do with the fact that we've been conquered, we've been scattered, the Northern kingdom of Jerusalem has been taken over. The kingdom has been divided after Solomon. The Judah remained you know, for a period of time. But even now, as we're gonna see through the book of Jeremiah, it gets conquered. What happened to us as the people of God? And that's what the writing is about. This is what happened, giving it some meaning, trying to to bring a sense of context to this. And that's what he's trying to do here. And, And he moves from this place of legal or moral issue to a personal scolding. It's legal because in Deuteronomy, the law If you were unfaithful, you have the right for divorce, right? This is something that should be judged. You have played this role, so you are going to be judged, but he doesn't deal with it legally. He deals with it in a more personal way. And the stronger theme is that God views his relationship with Israel not as a contract, but as a marriage, I don't have this legal contract. Remember, we talked about that, the difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract is you make an agreement with that agreement, the contract itself. A covenant is you make an agreement with the person. And God is moving from this contractual obligation to this personal commitment and engaging them there. And it takes us all the way back to Genesis where a man will leave his father and mother and join to his wife and the two will become one flesh and they were naked and not ashamed. There is this connection that was there, but look what has happened to it. Israel had bonded with God, but later broke that bond, turning to the gods of other nations and they violated their relationship God. And why would God use an analogy like that? I think... Because everyone who has been committed closely to someone, everyone who is in a marriage or a relationship that is very close, knows the fear of being betrayed. Knows maybe someone who has been in that relationship who has been betrayed by their partner. God wanted his people to feel the depth of love he was trying to communicate. And so this idea of a marriage, this idea of infidelity, this idea of that kind of relationship and that kind of hurt is the intent and purpose that he's writing. He wanted them to have the experience rather than the information. And it seems like God is saying, there's no way back. There's no way back to me when you have done this. Who would take their partner back when they have left them and done such evil against them? Would you return to me? And we hear him saying, you can't. You can't return to me. It would be wrong. It would be outrageous. It would be a scandal if I took you back after what you have done. But as we read on, that's the whole point. In fact, the theme throughout the book of Jeremiah is returning, returning returning. But as we read on, their return 
has a lot of problems. In verse six, it says, the Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah. Now remember, the Lord was speaking, it's poetry. Jeremiah is speaking, it's prose. There's this contrast that's going on. The Lord said to me in the days of Josiah, have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, there played the whore. And I thought, after she has done all that she will return to me, but she did not return. And her treacherous sister, Judah, saw it. Now, again, it's important to understand that Israel represented the northern kingdom that had split and had already been conquered. And so the the words that are used, the allegory that is used is Israel was this unfaithful sister. And you saw what happened to her. You, You think you would have learned by seeing that, but the treacherous sister Judah saw it. Verse eight, she saw all that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister, Judah, did not fear. But she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stones and trees. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. This idea of polluting the land, this idea of looking up to the high places, all has to do again with the idea of worship and how that false worship would affect them. The high hills was a place where they would build shrines and worship other gods. And the worship that would take place with the other gods was usually through these fertility rituals where men and women would prostitute themselves and that would be part of their worship. And so then Josiah comes the king and he wipes down all the high places and gets rid of them. And like, we're gonna get rid of these things, but they're looking back to the high places. They're going back to these areas. They're continuing to build the shrines again, to go back to these pagan ways of worship, leaving God. And so that's why this idea of whoring yourself, because that's where the prostitutes were of that religious worship. And so all this is very present in their minds. They're they're knowing exactly what the prophet is talking about. And he's saying, man, it it, it affected the ground itself. It, It affected the land. It polluted your worship in this way, polluted the land. You know, it's so interesting how detached we are from the things around us from environmental things, from things that have an effect on us that we just don't even think about it because they're so far removed. We don't think of the process to grow and get food. We don't think of what it goes through to get to our table. You know, I just go to the store, I go to, you know, Stater Brothers and I buy my hamburger. It's just meat that comes ground already. I don't know about the, you know, slaughtering process. I don't want to know about those things, right? If I knew about those things, I'd probably be less likely to be involved as much as I am. Probably not because I like smoking a lot, but... (laughs) 
we just detach ourselves from things and don't realize the effect that we have on everything, the effect that it has on us. And that's what the prophet is saying here. It's like, man, it affected the ground itself. It's so important that we see ourselves connected to the world that we live in. We see ourselves connected to one another. Rick and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, just about how when you have a disagreement with someone, if you address someone in an adversarial way, you limit your ability to connect with them further. And how are we connected? How strongly are we connected, not only to one another, but to the world that we live in? And if we would become more aware of this, we could probably live in a more holistic way with each other, with our environment, with how much how things need to be done. <clears throat> but we've become greedy. It becomes about making money. How much money can we make off of the land from the people? And it's easy to do that if we're detached. You see, when I invite my kids over for dinner, I don't ask them to pay, right? Hey, guys, I'm going to smoke a tri-tip, but I need five bucks from each of you. Right? They're my family. I, I'm providing not just food, but I'm providing something more. I'm trying to connect. What would happen if we had a mentality like that that spread beyond just our family? Understanding, yeah, there needs to be, you know, the financial responsibility. There's nothing wrong with making money, but there's something wrong with using people so that I can make more. And this faithless Israel and this treacherous Judah are, again, the allegory that the prophet's using, and there's nothing subtle about its meaning. It's meant to shock us. As Israel went into exile prior to Judah's exile, God says, I thought you would have learned, but you didn't return. You didn't get it. I sent her away with a decree of divorce, it says in verse 7. And I thought you would have learned from that. Judah witnessed this, but still took the same path. Israel was unfaithful, and Judah was treacherous. But after all they had done against him, and after the divorce, God still cries for them. Verse 12, it says, Go and proclaim these words towards the north, which would be Israel, and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will look on you in anger. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. At first, God's message is only a reasonable response would be divorce. That's the only thing that makes sense after what you've done. It's what needs to be done. No one in their right mind is going to take you back after what you have done. But we see time and time again in verse 12, return, O faithless children, declares the Lord. Verse 14, return, O faithless children, declares the Lord. Verse 20, return, return, O faithless sons, I will heal 
your faithlessness. I love that. I will heal your faithlessness. Not punish it, but heal it. You're probably already being punished by your unfaithfulness. And I, I think if we bring that to a more personal level with us, understanding that what God wants wherever we are at and whatever situation we find ourselves in is us to return to him. That his goal isn't to punish us. And I think there's a difference between wrath and punishment or anger, right? I always have a hard time with wrath because it looks like to me sometimes wrath is, you know, when God gets angry and upset, he starts killing people. And I'm mad, I'm gonna kill a bunch of you, right? I don't know if you guys remember the Fantastic Four and Ben, the thing, it's clobbering time, you know? It's just like, okay, I've had enough, I'm gonna go whoop on you guys because my wrath is just there. But what we see here is a different picture. I think in this illustration, imagine someone being in love so much that they just can't let go. In spite of how much pain, in spite of how much hurt, they just cannot let go. It's like someone holding on to the car as their partner's driving away saying, please don't go, please don't go. And even though they're driving, they won't let go of the car. There's no chance in hell that they can stop that car, but there is no chance that they will let go until they have to. And that's the picture that we're getting here, right? This idea of you went and just hoard yourself out to everybody and it was just awful, but I want you back. I want you to return, even though you are unfaithful. You're holding on to hope, even when there is none to be found. And it's heartbreaking when you see this happening in real life, when someone loves someone, they've married them, and that person leaves. And the person is left devastated. One person still wants the relationship, and one person says, I'm done. It's like, how can you be done when I care so much? How can you just disregard what is so important to me? And once again, God is putting himself in this vulnerable position of I'm the one who wants and you're the one who's leaving. I think of the prodigal son, the story that Jesus told. When the son says, you know, dad, it looks like you're gonna live forever. I don't want to wait till you're going to die to get my inheritance. Give it to me now. And he takes his inheritance and he goes to a far land and he starts squandering it on women, on drink, and just living this wild life. And then there's a famine and he doesn't have anything left. And he's thinking, I, I, I would rather go back to my father's house and be a slave. It would be better for me in that role than for me to live like I am. And so he, he plans a speech all out. You know, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to go back and say, Father, I be, let me be a slave. I, I have hurt you and I've wronged you. I want to be your slave. 
And, and it says when he came to his senses. And I think that's so telling because what it takes some time sometimes is for us to pause and actually sense what we are feeling, where we are at to understand and accept it. I, I think of the people I know who have gone into rehab and have come out. There was a time where there was a, an awakening of the senses where they had a reality check of this is really where I am at and it's not a good place. And sometimes we need to pause and think, am I living my life in such a way that all I care about is the stuff, the job, the things that I am doing and not the people and not the Lord and who he is and his character in my life. All I care about is this rat race that I'm in and the power that I can get and I'm void of the heart of God in my life in all these areas. And sometimes we have to have a pause and come to our senses. This is how I'm living. It's not healthy. The people who are addicted on the streets, it takes a coming to your senses. One person I know, it was his son, where he was finally just saw his son and his relationship that he would not ever have with him if he did not change. And he came to his senses. See, prior to that, it was the drugs. That meant everything to me. And then when he came to his senses, he said, no, this is more important. I need help. I need to return. But the Lord says, I will take you back if you just return to me. I will not look at you in anger. See, I think this is explaining the wrath of God. I will not let go. Even though you are devastated, I will not let go. The turning point in the story for the prodigals when he came to his senses, the prophet is waiting for Israel and Judah to do the same. We can begin our return with a prayer. I'm back. We don't have to fulfill a legal obligation. We can't right all the wrongs that we've done, but we can return. The prodigal didn't need to become a slave for the rest of his life. His father looked at him as his son who is back from the dead immediately. And that's the posture that God has. When we do return, what do we see in God's eyes? I will not look at you in anger, verse 12. God has this crazy love. How do they return? Chapter four, verse one says, if you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me, you should return. You don't return to a religion. You don't return by going to church. You don't return by following the law. You return to that God, who God is. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, 
And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and in righteousness, the nations shall bless themselves in him and in him shall they glory. Remember, the prophet is talking to people who are finding themselves so removed from God because they're now in captivity. They are living at a place where God has forgotten us if God's even there because look at where we're at. And he's saying, no, you can return. God hasn't forgotten you. He's not angry. As the Lord lives in truth and justice and righteousness, the nations shall bless themselves in him. It is a rebirth of the nation to understand that even where you're at now, God will meet you. You can be found by God in this desolate place. And and I think that's an important thing for us to understand. I think that was so much a part of Jesus's ministry was to those people who were marginalized, those people who were the tax collectors, right? The, The sinners, the prostitutes, you. God has his eye on you. God cares and God will leave the 99 to find the one. There is hope still because God hasn't given up. He never gives up. And notice they're returning to him. Again, not the law, not going back to a religious system. And and what does it mean to be far from God? I mean, what does that look like? Is it only when we worship other gods? Is it when we defile ourselves in this kind of pagan worship? Is it you know, living in disobedience to the law? Is it not going to church? Is it not reading our Bibles? Is it not praying? What does it mean to be far from God? And again, in Jeremiah and most of the Old Testament, it had to do with idolatry. It had to do with placing something in a position that is more important than the role and character of God in our life. It could be the role of power like in the garden where you shall know good and evil. You shall be as God. I will take this place of authority over my life and not recognize an authority that is bigger than myself. We see that in the book of Revelation too, the the whole idea of the beast not caring about God, but just ravaging, destroying the innocent. The idea of idolatry is not living into the character that God has for us and putting something else as more important than that. I I often think, well, how do we have the character of God or or what is going to help us to not become idolatrous? And I think of the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. This is who God created us to be. And when we're not living in that, we're probably living in some idolatry. Now, it might not be as extreme as what the prophet is describing here, but it's polluting us. It's destroying us. And sometimes 
like what the prophet declares, we just need to lift our eyes and see what's going on. See where we're at because it's so easy to forget. You know, there's like on your door that hinge that's coming undone and you you look at it and you say, I need to fix that. But then I open and shut the door every day and just forget it's there until one day the door doesn't close because the hinge is coming so much off of it. And it's like, I can't ignore it anymore. I stopped seeing it. I stopped seeing the problem because it was just there every day. I, I stopped seeing the problems in my life until they start producing something that I have to deal with. And sometimes we have to look up and we have to see. We have to recognize these things. I don't want to get lost in my habitual thoughts and actions. I want to be more than my thoughts and my feelings. I want to be aware of what's happening. One of the things that therapy does is helps us to connect to the reasons that we are doing certain things to to get to the root of things. And I want to have a connection that is more than just the action. I want to be more than just what I feel or just what I think. I remember doing an experiment in writing one time where we were given this very broad scenario and then we're just told, okay, write a story. And it was amazing how we were supposed to be aware of how the story starts to take a life of its own, right? Some call it the muse where you just start writing and pretty soon it's like your character starts developing. It's like, I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm just writing this out. I can actually be the person who sees what's happening and not be the person that's just happening. And God is trying to help us to see and be connected. If we know what God wants for us to be the fruit of the spirit, then we can give that to him. And so the question is, what does God want? How would I set you among my sons and give you the pleasant land And I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. God wants us to return to his love wherever we're at. That was his message to the nation. And I think that's his message to us. And it's doable. We just have to see and decide, you know what, I'm back. Let's pray. Lord God, Jeremiah uses such strong language to communicate who you are. And it can be a little off-putting, but I think that's the intention. I think the desire of this chapter and what we're reading is to shock us into seeing how important you are to our lives. And Lord, idolatry looks a lot different today than it did back then. But it's also very similar. There might not be 
places that we go to worship pagan rituals, but we give ourselves to so many things sometimes that are unhealthy, that detach us from your character or from one another. And I pray that we would have eyes to see, to look and recognize where we are at, that we would come to our senses, we would sense and feel where we are at, that we would hear your voice return, and that we would pray, I'm back. Lord, I pray if this was resonating with anybody, that you would follow them to the conclusion that you would pursue with that crazy love that just does not let go. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May wherever we are at be an opportunity for us to come to our senses and look to see where the God is who is looking for us. And may we return to his heart. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a, a wonderful week. Have a happy Thanksgiving for those of you watching. Again, hope to see you guys here at our house or at my house, Green's house tonight. God bless you guys. You've been listening to the official podcast of Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. If you've been encouraged, found hope, been challenged by what you've heard, We'd like to ask you to help spread the word by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. You can also help support our podcast by visiting us at thegenesisstory.com. It has been our pleasure to have you join us today, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.